0: Welcome to the Daily Stoic Podcast, where each weekday we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, a short passage of ancient wisdom designed to help you find strength and insight here in everyday life. And on Wednesdays, we talk to some of our fellow students of ancient philosophy, well-known and obscure, fascinating and powerful. With them, we discuss the strategies and habits that have helped them become who they are and also to find peace and wisdom in their actual lives. But first, we've got a quick message from one of our sponsors. everything. That's dell.com slash deals. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. These tools would have been super helpful to me when I was growing The Daily Stoke when I was writing my first book, and in fact, have been, right the daily soak is built around email marketing that may well be how you heard of this very podcast with constant contact you'll reach new audiences grow your customer list and communicate more effectively to sell more raise more and fast track growth so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com just go to constantcontact.com right now constant contact helping the small stand tall constantcontact.com If you're not seeking out challenges, you're betraying yourself. James Harden has led the NBA in scoring for three of the past four seasons. He's been named an All-Star nine seasons in a row. He's made the NBA first team list six times, and he was the league's most valuable player in 2018. Every discussion about the best basketball player in the world includes James Harden. But perhaps what is most impressive about Harden is that he refuses to use all of this success as a reason to stagnate. Like the legends who came before him, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, he famously commits to adding at least one element to his game every offseason. When videos went around of Harden, already a prolific shooter, shooting these bizarre one legged fadeaway three pointers, During the preseason, most assumed that the superstar was just messing around. In fact, he was working. I'm always trying to get better, Harden explained the one-legged shot. This is my 11th year in the league, he said. Then in every single year, I want to get better. don't want to stay the same. You've got to find ways to keep growing. Whether in sports, in business, or life, the greats are always distinguished by how they're looking to add a new element to their game. This is the Stoic way. A Stoic has their eye on always improving. As Epictetus said, quoting Socrates, just as one person delights in improving his farm and another his horse, so I delight in attending to my own improvement day by day. The whole point of life, of working out, of work itself, is to push yourself, to grow day by day as a result of pushing against and through difficulty. An athlete betrays their sport if they stop looking to add to their repertoire. A writer betrays their craft if they do not take on projects just beyond their current capabilities. A lawyer betrays their profession if they only take on the cases they know for sure they will win. And we betray ourselves and our potential if we do not seek out challenges. The new year is almost here, and it's a perfect chance to take on a challenge, to push yourself to get better and stronger by pushing against and through difficulty to inch closer to your potential. Why not start 2022 by taking the steps towards being the person you know you can be? And that's one reason why we create and run every year the Daily Stoic New Year New You Challenge, which we have an all new version of here on the eve of 2022 it's a set of 21 actionable challenges presented one per day built around the best most timeless stoic wisdom that there is our goal my goal myself is to become my best self in 2022 and the goal the challenge is to help you do that look each year every year this year right in front of you be the most important year of your life, the one where you become your best, most creative, most centered, most self-reliant, most resilient self. But you have to be willing to step into difficulty, step towards it, because like lifting weights, growth can't happen without resistance. And the New Year New You Challenge, it's new content guided by thousands of responses and reactions to the challenges we did in 2020, 2019, 2018, And there's awesome stuff in here. I think you're really going to like it. It's a whole new challenge. I can't wait to bring it to you. And the ideas in the challenge are there to help you stop procrastinating, to gain clarity, to learn new skills, to quit harmful vices, to make amends, to be more courageous, and to break destructive thought patterns and much, much more. Of course, we should think here on the eve of the new year, what are the risks and downsides of not taking control of your life for allowing... If we allow another year to pass without living up to our potential, we're not changing our ways. The risks might not be dire, but none of the downsides are good. And some are downright miserable. So let's not let that happen this year. Not again. Seek out challenges. Find ways to keep growing. Don't stay the same. Don't betray your potential. Demand more of yourself in 2022. And one of the ways you can do that is by joining us in the Daily Stoic New Year New You Challenge. All you have to do is go to dailystoic.com challenge to sign up. Remember, Daily Stoic Life members get this challenge and all our challenges for free. But sign up. Seriously, think about what one positive change, one good new habit is worth to you think about what could be possible if you handed yourself over to a little bit of a program we all pushed ourselves together that's what we're going to do in the challenge i'm going to be doing it i do the challenges all of them alongside everyone else i'm looking forward to connecting with everyone in the discord challenge and all the other bonuses anyways check it out new year new you the daily Stoke challenge sign up at dailystoke.com challenge Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoic Podcast. I've known about today's guest and his work for a long time. Uh, We have the same publisher uh, for starters. So I think my editor, Nikki Papadopoulos, first passed him to me. And then he popped up on my radar again when uh, someone, I think it was my sister, pointed out that he was. He had a copy of the Daily Stoic behind him on some of his video episodes uh, of his podcast, which is great, and you should listen to. I am talking about the one and only Scott Galloway, Professor Scott Galloway, as he is often known. He's a professor of marketing at the NYU School Stern, at the NYU Stern School of Business. He teaches brand strategy and digital marketing, but he's really just a fantastic writer. He's sort of brought, I think, A really good amount of sort of cultural criticism, business strategy, and understanding of the the, the technological changes and mindset of Silicon Valley uh, to... Uh, the the world. Now, um, if you remember when WeWork just like blew up uh, as a company, not like blew up became popular, but when the sort of house of cards came crumbling down, a lot of this was the result of some of the analysis that Professor Galloway had done. He brought it, uh, he, he brought the absurdity, he waded through the absurdity in his really trademark way, was able to explain it to everyday people who wouldn't be well-versed in tech. Uh, and, uh, he, th- he just does that on a lot of issues. Uh, you can, uh, it, it's just great. He has a, a great podcast. Uh, a, he's active on social media. Of course, one of the things we talk about, he served on the board of directors of Eddie Bauer, the New York times, gateway computer, and the Berkeley Haas School of Business. He has a BA from UCLA and an MBA from Berkeley. We talk a little bit about the UC system, which is where I dropped out. He's the author of many, many books, Post-Corona, From Crisis to Opportunity. The obstacle is the way, as you might say. Uh, the Four, The Hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, and Facebook and Google. And then I think most... Uh, most. Uh, Interesting to the uh, Daily Stoke audience would be his book, The Algebra of Happiness, Notes on the Pursuit of Success, Love, and Meaning. You can go to his website, profgalloway.com, but, and uh, you can subscribe to his newsletter, which I get no mercy, no malice. He's the co-host of the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher, uh, and just, uh, just a great guy. You can follow him on TikTok he has got some great stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Prof Galloway, and uh, you know just a, just a fa- and he's got a show coming out with on CNN Plus soon too. This dude is just making tons of stuff. I've been on his podcast twice. It was a wonderful experience. You can check those out, and uh, I hope you enjoy this interview. With us, um, the thing I think I found most surprising the two times now the three times I've talked to Professor Galloway as a writer, he's this bombastic, aggressive, like he wields the pen like a sword, and I think that's what you know his. As I said, his newsletters titled "No Mercy, No Malice." So I don't know, but I I I, I sort of expected a certain personality. I was he's he talks very quietly, and very calmly almost like a whisper and i found that um the contrast of that delightful and uh, i really enjoyed talking to him and i think you'll enjoy this episode anyways here's my interview with professor scott galloway who you should all be a fan of Well, i'm excited uh i have a bunch i want to talk to you with but i thought we'd start with uh with with what happened last week what is it like to be attacked by the richest man in the world on twitter (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah we should talk about that what's that like uh are we recording are we yeah doing this? yeah yeah oh we are um uh, okay um so i got i started getting all these text messages including one that said are you okay and i thought okay what what's wrong i do you know something i don't and then it, what's interesting is clearly there's not a lot of people that follow me that follow Elon because I didn't get a lot of my Twitter uh, feed. And then I saw it and then someone forwarded to me. I said, what's going on here? My podcast co-host forwarded me. And he said something along the lines of, um, uh, this guy's an insufferable numbskull. You know, y- 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 you could don't invest in anything he suggests or something like that. Basically I had said, and I'm like, how did I like, I've said a lot of stuff about Tesla. Why now is he coming for me? <clears throat> I just, I'd said that, um, that he was using um, this Twitter poll that the Twitter poll, that people didn't really have any agency that he'd decided a long time ago to sell stock as evidenced by an SEC filing, uh, which somehow riled him up. And, you know, I, I responded and I try, I, I, I enjoy responding to stuff like that. My, my view is generally speaking, it's okay to have enemies as long as they're more powerful than you. Yeah. I generally think it means you're probably doing something right. Um, if you have enemies that are less powerful than you, then you're, you're just bullying. Mm -hmm. What I did though, is I, I was really excited about it. I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for me to respond and every day and get in his, get in his head. And then, you know, some of the stuff I've learned from you and others, it's like, okay. I'm a 57-year-old man. Do I really need to be responding to every slight? And two, I do think that Elon Musk is doing important work. You know, he's trying to put people into space and, and also building an electric car. I think he's an enormous asshole, but that doesn't mean I need to distract him or get in his head or respond to every slight. So I just, I said my piece and I just kind of just stopped. And I don't think I would have um a few years ago i'm trying to have more control of my emotions i'm trying to be it's okay if someone every once in a while gets the better of you it's okay it's not you know the next day you know what ryan the next morning my kids still wanted me to take them to school you know my friends still wanted to hang out with me so i i just the whole thing was as it should have been kind of a big nothing burger because he immediately went on to say much more aggressive profane things about people much more famous than me but yeah it's I've, i'm kind of like i've checked that box the our our innovation ages jesus christ is not happy with me
0: well, what is that why do you think given that all he has going on and all he's done that he can't do what you said you found yourself doing which is going like why am i getting sucked into this
1: yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, to be fair, some of it has paid huge dividends. There's an id, or there's a, a fairly unfortunate component of our, of our species and our society where you're always kind of enjoying people you admire dunking on others. Sure. So to get back in Bernie's face, when Bernie comes across as indignant and lecturing, which he does a lot, and say, I forgot you were still alive, that kind of is fun, right? It feels right. good. And especially of the 40 or 50 million followers that Elon ha, has, I would bet 30 of them are million of them are young men who kind of enjoy that sort of, I don't want to call it Howard Stern, but that kind of Donald Trump, Howard Stern, in your face, irreverent. I, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to be the the boring toothpaste CEO. I'm going to say what I want. Uh, I think I think it's worked really well for him. I mean, I hate to admit it, but I think one of the reasons that Donald Trump was elected is a lot of people are just sick of sort of the the blow-dried starched uh, nature channel meets Hallmark channel you know veneer of politeness and so it has worked really well for him and Tesla the most valuable automobile company in history worth more than the next 10 biggest automobile manufacturers combined doesn't advertise and part of the reason they don't need to advertise is that he says these things to get tremendous attention. So he's always part of the dialogue. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it, it's probably been effective and probably been a good shareholder driven strategy. The thing I worry about or the thing that, and I feel very much like a boomer and I'd be curious to get your take on this Ryan because you're younger than me. I think it's a certain point when you get above a certain amount of influence you do, you know, to for those who much is given, much is expected, you do have somewhat of an obligation to serve as a role model. Sure. And I think this guy arguably is more of a role model to young men than any athlete or any political figure in history. I think a ton of young men look at what he's accomplished, how he doubled down with his proceeds in LinkedIn and, and financed these companies on credit cards, and now he's putting rockets into space. He's electrifying the world. I mean, it really is is there's a ton to just be in awe of of Elon Musk. And I guess it's hard to edit that part, but then, all right, do you want to train young men to be this course? Do you want young men to to believe that once you get to a certain point of success, that you don't kind of acknowledge your blessings and show a little bit more grace, but you get in people's face and you make our dialogue more coarse, and you say profane things about sitting US senators. I mean, what he said about Ron Wyden, I thought was totally over the, over the limit. So look, I, you know, I, it, it disappoints me like that more of these men who have such incredible influence, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Elon Musk or Donald Trump, that they just don't demonstrate a little bit more grace. I wonder if we're raising a generation of like entrepreneurs, bold risk takers who are also just assholes. Anyway, I think that's I, but, right. I'd be curious to get your thoughts.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I wonder too, you know, you look at someone like Kanye West, who's sort of a similar playbook to Elon Musk, how it, it, there's this interesting moment where the wheels come off, and then you go, Oh, was it an act? Was it a deliberate strategy? Or were you actually just not in control of yourself and it worked for you for a very long time?
1: Yeah, the thing about Kanye and you know, it's the the Dunning-Kruger effect, where you mm-hmm. just because you have some success in one area, you automatically think you have uh, domain expertise in another. All of a sudden, every, all of us have decided we're, we've been awarded doctorates in epidemiology. We all, you know, we all of a sudden just have a view on, on the virus. Uh, and so I want to be careful. I'm not a trained doctor. I'm not making a diagnosis here. I think there's enough evidence that Kanye is dealing with a lot of different issues. And sure. And... Kanye strikes me as someone who uh, is just struggling uh, uh, and occasionally has episodes where um, trying to just figure out a delicate way to, to manicure this without coming across as an armchair psychiatrist. I think Kanye is a different situation.
0: I just mean that, uh, but social media ultimately doesn't really make a distinction. If it's sort of entertaining or interesting, uh, it plays well. So it, it's like, I, I guess I always wonder with someone like Elon. How much of it is this sort of deliberate marketing strategy, and how much of it is a like can't stop himself
1: uh, well, I think from it's doing certain things? Yeah, I don't think, supposedly, he burns through PR executives every 14 days because they just don't know what to do. And they, I mean, on a risk adjusted basis over the long term, this attitude of being irreverent and occasionally being unscripted and not having every word massaged by eight PR consultants, which is what every CEO, I was at Code, and there was a bunch of tech CEOs there. And they were all surrounded by an entourage and their entourage isn't even security. It's not people they're trying to help learn. It's not their chief of staff. It's all these PR hacks trying to massage every word and say, okay, they're going to ask you about this, frame it this way. And he's not that. And I think, I think people really respond positively to this sort of unfiltered in your face honesty. Uh, But I'm pretty sure. And again, this is a, I'm being reductive. I'm pretty sure he gets really fucking high and goes on Twitter at night. I just, I don't think a sober person, and I relate to some of this because occasionally I'm drunk tweeted and it's not a good idea. But I think he, I think he takes an edible and then decides to say these things. There's no way if he screened any of this through anybody, they would do the math and go, a sitting U.S. Senator who writes legislation, including tax policy, antitrust policy, it's probably just not a good idea to, to just insult him like that. It's just not, you know, these Senate, these senators pass laws. <laughs> sure. So I don't, I don't see how over the long term this is a, sm- this, this benefits him or his shareholders.
0: Well, your point about the role models is a good one, right? And I've seen this with the athletes that I've worked with, but I also, I interviewed Michael Dell uh, a few weeks back, like we do have this sense. You look at the Elon Musk or the Steve Jobs and you're like, okay, this is what it takes to be that. But there mm-hmm. is sort of below them a tier of extraordinarily successful people who are not assholes or mm-hmm. who are not reckless, uh, who don't, you know, as you said, get high and tweet things. And, and I found that with athletes too. Obviously, you look at Jordan or you look at Tom Brady or you look at Aaron Rodgers and you go, is this what it takes to be world-class at what you do? Maybe the sort of assholeness is a part of the, uh, the performance. But, but it may just be that they are the most public of them. They're the ones we talk about the most. And, and perhaps, uh, the given how anomalous they are, the worst one to try to emulate. You might want, you'd be better off emulating the larger class of people you haven't heard of but are extraordinarily successful than try to be the one Elon Musk.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's tough because I think one of the things that really is damaging our society and has led to a lot of things, including less opportunity for young people for the first time in our nation's history, a 30-year-old man or woman isn't doing as well as his or her parents at 30. Uh, the percentage of wealth that people under the age of 40 control relative to GDP has gone from 20% to 9%. And I think, okay, how do we, How do we kind of build back this more comedy of man, a a nation that seems to, I don't know, be more productive or offer more opportunity to young people? And I think part of the problem is uh, the erosion of faith in our institutions, where everyone just hates government. Everyone blames everybody else. And I don't think you're helping when you start attacking our institutions and showing kind of that level or that disrespect. It's like, what does a young person think, whether you like Senator Sanders or not? The greatest deliberative body on this planet or any planet is probably the U.S. Senate. They're cordial to each other. They argue, but they pass amazing legislation, whether it's civil rights or funding for vaccines. I mean, they do important work. And it seems like the one piece of connective tissue that our nation has left is its government. And people are just so coarse and cynical and disparaging of our government. And then our elected officials are so coarse and personally attack each other. I don't know if that's going to, I just don't know if that's going to help. And also, what would if you pivot to where you want to go, the, the content I have found, I'm guilty of this. I do the same thing when people come after me and I do it less now. And they stick their chin out and they say something stupid. I'm like, oh my gosh, what an opportunity. And I go in and, you know, kiss sure. me chin. And I get a ton of likes and I feel good about myself and dunking in 140 characters or less. And then I realized about two, three years ago that I was just adding to the problem. And I wasn't happy doing it and it didn't reflect well on me personally. And that a certain, I think being a man means occasionally just taking it. Just if somebody is angry and upset and having a bad day, I used to be that guy, Ryan, that when I went to the Delta counter and I was, you know, Delta one K any slight, any, like I didn't get upgraded or I didn't, the line wasn't moving fast enough, anything where I felt the universe was out of whack and not giving me the respect that I was, I warranted, I had to Get angry or or bring it back to the equilibrium of me just being the fucking baller I'd like to think I am. Sure. the reality is I think being a man is occasionally recognizing that sometimes when you get cut off in traffic, sometimes when your food is late, sometimes when someone serving you is disrespectful, that it's not about you, that maybe that that maybe that person has a kid who's struggling with autism. Maybe that person is really worried about declaring bankruptcy because his or her wife has lung cancer. And so I think a certain amount of grace, I'm not saying you ever need to be abused, but a certain amount of grace is just to kind of take it and realize it's not, it's not about you. And then around authenticity, what I've tried to pivot to, and I think this is the big opportunity for men, is to openly talk about your emotions and be vulnerable. I mean, there's different types of authenticity. Someone says something about you, you get angry, you get back in their face, regardless of the repercussions, right? And it's authentic and people respond to that authenticity. There's also, I think, a more productive authenticity, and that is talking about, you know, how just devastated you were when you had to put your dog down or talking about, you know, investing in in your relationship with your spouse or talking about, you know, you're looking through old photos of your kids and you just kind of just, you're just sort of not devastated, but you're just so kind of upset that you're just never going to have that 11-year-old back that he, while he's a lovely 14-year-old now, that 11-year-old is gone What I have found is I've tried to pivot more to that and less about calling people out because I find there's a lot of the former, but there's not as much of the latter and it's authentic and people really respond to it. So I'm, you know, it's sort of do it trying to, you know, the test is like the man, the man in the mirror. I'm trying to be more authentic and less guarded around my emotions uh, that are positive, the, the, the concern and care and regard I have for others and some of the insecurities I have as opposed to being that guy on Twitter who dunks on people because I'm, I'm, I have good facility with words. I'm creative. I'm sort of funny. So I was sort of born to dunk on people and I did it for a while and enjoyed it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this going to get me? What is it going to get me? Is this what I, is this the role model I want to be? Is this what I want my boys to be like? So anyways, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of walk the walk if you, if, if, if you will. And the advice I would give to young people, I know a lot of young people listen to your show. If you can be authentic about your emotions and your relationships, there's a huge opportunity because most people don't have the confidence to talk about it. And everybody, I remember talking about, I'm a, you know, I'm a guy who's fairly successful. And I remember talking about the fact I had trouble getting over the death of my mother. And I started hearing from all the, these masters of the universe saying, I still haven't gotten over my mom's death. And what you realize is that there's no shortage of people who will call other people out. With the real opportunity, the real opportunity is whether there's a real market opportunity, if you will, looking at it just from a business standpoint, is to be more open about you know your relationships and some of the things that, some of the demons that haunt you. There's a lot of people out there who 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 share those sentiments. Uh, so, anyways, that's what I'm trying trying to do less of the former, more of the latter.
0: Yeah, there's a great Jeff Bezos speech that he gave once about some advice that he got from his grandfather about how it's easier to be clever than kind. And uh, I, I think it. about that all the time.
1: I love that. I love that. And to try and show discipline and just occasionally, you know, if you have absorb a slight, you're going to get it back. Don't worry about it. You're, it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying let anyone take advantage of you or abuse you, but I, I to the first time in my life, I thought, you know, I don't want to take any of this guy's headspace because he is doing important work. Sure, And and so have at it, you know, but also at the same time, you know, I just don't want to be that guy. I just don't want to be that guy. And I hope that young people, if they can, can parse through the amazing things about these individuals and maybe put aside some of the some of the other stuff.
0: Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and The Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in two 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com stoic. That's linkedin.com stoic to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at LinkedIn.com/stoic. That's LinkedIn.com/stoic to post your job for free. Terms. And conditions apply? I, I do think that it's one, one of the things I try to remind myself when I get something nasty from someone, and, and like you, I'm not perfect at all. and It's a journey. But I try to remind myself that 99% of the time, these people are not winning, like at life. Like the person who's spreading COVID information uh, at you, or whatever, there's some random commenter, you know, it sucks to be that person in a lot of ways, 100%. not just because they're making themselves vulnerable to the pandemic, but like, chances are they believe a bunch of other nonsense too. And, and life is not going well. And I, so I try pities the wrong word, but I just try to remember that it's not fun to be this person.
1: I, I think that's such a great point. A piece of advice, there's only a small number of like sayings and pieces of advice I've have found have held are durable, are enduring. And one of them was actually one of my investors and became, uh, I became friends with was the CEO of a company called Prologis, and I haven't, Unfortunately, I've sort of lost contact with him. I had him on my podcast, but he's a CEO named Hamid Mogadam, who's considered like one of the brightest minds in, in real estate. And I got kicked off the board and basically driven out of town at my first startup by this, this very like master of the universe venture capitalist. And I was just so fucking angry. And I spent basically a year or two years running a proxy battle and trying to seek my revenge. And I would always call Hamid for advice about the proxy fight and how to take over the company. And he said to me something that stuck with me. He said, Scott, you said, you realize that the best revenge is just to live really well. Yes. The best revenge is to have a better life. And what I realize is what most of the people I get into it or come after me or say false things about me on Twitter or whatever. I just say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my, I'm gonna serve this guy a cold lunch by just having a fucking amazing life. I'm gonna have a ton of people who I love, who love me, I'm gonna make a shit ton of money and I'm gonna spend it all on good things and give a lot of it away. I'm gonna do amazing things with amazing people and I'm gonna raise great citizens uh, you know it just that's my revenge and uh that's the advice I would give to anybody you know the best revenge you want to make all of your enemies have and by the way, the more the, as enemies are a function of success, sure isn't it. There is an industrial complex that rewards people for dunking and going after people who get some sort of fame or influence. And that's probably a healthy thing. We should probably question power, but the absolute best revenge is just to have an amazing life and such a nice life that that bullshit just plays a smaller and smaller role uh, in your head. And I've, I've tried to embrace that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna focus. I'm gonna try to take any energy around that stuff and focus it on being stronger, being more fit, uh, making more money, spending more time with my kids, spending more time with my friends, because that is the ultimate revenge. And then I wish we were a little bit, I'm trying to bring some heat and some light to people who I think are, who show a lot of grace. Like I was singing like Angela Merkel or, or uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar. These people are, uh, I'm friendly with a guy named Senator Michael Bennett. The thing they do, or even Andrew Yang, who I'm a big supporter of, the thing they all have in common They never personally attack anybody. Yes. You know, when you're Chancellor of Germany, you could easily use your platform to call out what a fucking idiot Donald Trump is. And she doesn't, because she realized my job is to serve the German people. The woman's a quantum chemist. You know, she she has a PhD in quantum chemistry. My guess is she could absolutely highlight what the, you know, the president of Brazil is saying, his junk science about COVID. But she doesn't. She restrains herself. Her, her attitude is, I'm, I'm, I'm about helping the German people. And I, her last tweet kind of summed up everything that, of course, no one saw, but I thought was the most heroic tweet of the year. She said, I promise my departure will be remarkably boring. Yes. And I just saw it, And then she stopped tweeting. <laughs> and I thought, that's the kind of leadership, that's the kind of grace we need right now in the world is people who aren't going to use their platform. To piss off people or make us more tribal or say, "Here you on this side, and everyone else is our enemy." So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think how do we, how do we live that, the, kind of live up to that ideal, and also how do we bring more attention to the people who just do the work. I've, I've been, I had Senator Klobuchar on our podcast, or I shouldn't say I did it; Kara brought her on, and she just strikes. She's doing such important work, and she doesn't go after people personally. She doesn't think as a function of making progress. She has to criticize other people.
0: Yeah. I think it sounds like the theme of what you're saying. That's actually what I'm writing about now, but is is restraint just because you can, doesn't mean you should just because you were rightfully provoked doesn't mean you need to respond. And, uh, that's a, I think that is a attribute that is very, very rare in today's world. People who are restrained.
1: Well, I've been reading a lot about, I've been trying to understand masculinity and a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion of masculinity ends, ends up with the military and strength and warriors and what it means to be a warrior. And warriors are highly trained, highly skilled, deadly when they need to be. But the other component or an aspect of a true warrior is he or she keeps their sword in their sheath unless absolutely necessary. They're not... They're not running around firing on civilians just because they're worried about them or that they're not respectful to them. They keep, their, they keep their guns and their swords, you know, kind of locked and in the sheath. And I think that's what it means to be a real warrior is to just have get incredibly strong mentally and physically. I do think that physical fitness and strength, and this is where I'm less woke, I don't buy this body positivity moment I, uh, movement. I, I think it's important to be physically fit. You are not renting your body. This is not a loner. I think you want to be, be able to run long distances and lift heavy weights, both in the real world and in your mind. But you don't. You don't use that strength to hurt people. You don't. You don't use your forty million Twitter followers to to shame people or embarrass them. You keep your sword in its sheath. That's what a warrior is. No, I let, let's talk about the, the, the
0: body thing. Cause I know you, you, I've seen some pictures. You're pretty jacked. Uh, it, it, it is it, to me, the point of exercise and physical fitness is about deciding who's in charge, like you or your mm-hmm. body. So to me, even though you're working out your muscles, what you're actually doing, when you do that, when you decide to go for a run or a bike ride, when you decide to push past the limits that your body tells you to do is possible, it's actually the mind that's getting stronger because the mind is asserting its dominance over the body. It's probably not biologically or physiologically true, but that's how I think about it. It's like when I work out, I ran this morning, I'll work out tonight. It's me making a statement about who's in charge of me and my my limits and what I do and don't do.
1: So I, I remember this. You're a runner, right? Ryan? Yeah. So- I think there's, I think there's so, I I think what you're saying is really important. I I was, um, I was an athlete growing up. I wasn't a very good athlete. I was blessed with just enough athletic skill to enjoy it, but not enough to ever have any delusions that I was going to make a career out of it. And I'm sincere. I lived in, I was, I rode crew at UCLA and I knew a lot of athletes who are amazing athletes. And it ended up being kind of a, not a bad thing, but you know, some of them went to the Seoul Olympics. Some got drafted in the, you know, into like farm teams. But most of them were calling me at the age of twenty-eight and starting their lives. Yeah. So, anyways, but on crew, and I was a terrible oarsman. I was usually the the least talented, or least strong in the boat. But there would be a point when you row where the the air coming in and out of your esophagus felt like it was on fire. You couldn't feel your legs; they were so numb with exhaustion and you had to physically focus on trying to not pass out. You'd start seeing black in front of your eyes and thinking, okay, I'm literally about to pass out. And these races are 2000 meters and that would start to happen at 800 meters. And you would go to 2000. And what that taught me at a very young age, at the age of 19 was that about the time you think you can't take it anymore, you're in a bad relationship, about the time you think, I just give up. The world has been so harsh to me professionally about the time you think I just can't take anymore because some bad things have happened to you. When you think you're at your limit, you're about 30% of the way to your actual limit. Yeah. It is incredible what the body and the mind are capable of. And the moment you, you learn that, the moment you learn that you become, you, 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 you acquire a devastating advantage and weapon. And when I went to work at Morgan Stanley, my first job out of UCLA, I wasn't as well educated, not because I went to an inferior school, I went to UCLA, but I got a 2.3 GPA. I smoked a lot of pot. I watched Planet of the Apes. I just wasn't as skilled as the majority of my colleagues. Um, I was at a disadvantage, but I thought, you know what? I, I, know my, I know my limits are not nearly as limited. And I used to every week go into work Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., And I'd stay till Wednesday night at five. I would just work through the night and the whole firm knew about it. And I did it every Tuesday. And it just kind of, and not only that, it was super easy for me. I was 23. I was in great fucking shape. Um, I was mentally strong and I had no kids or dogs waiting for me at home. So I'm like, why not? And And the thing is, everyone would be like, how can you do, you know, I could never do that. I'm like, yeah, you can, you can do it easily you just don't because you haven't done it you don't have the confidence you can a 23 year old can work 36 hours straight no pro, no problem that's what surgical residents do that's what doc, that's what residents in medical school do you absolutely can do it and something that's been a gift my whole life is when i'm feeling down and i feel like i can't take anymore i know i'm not even close right i'm not even close so that kind of when you run In addition to the other things, it's been my, it's for me, I don't know if it's true. It's like my antidepressant Mm -hmm. gets rid of my anger, gives me control over my emotions, makes me feel strong. Um, I enjoy sex more because I feel stronger. Um, It makes me feel uh, just uh, like I can be more kind because I feel stronger. Just everything about it uh, is, is a gift. And unfortunately we've conflated Fitness with some sort of shaming of people who aren't who have genetic problems or are in food deserts. That's not where, 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 where we are at all. I want to move back to a society. Remember the Presidential Fitness Awards? I don't know if you're even old enough for that. But in the fifth grade, you'd start doing like pull ups, sit ups. Yeah. And if you were in the top decile, you got a badge. And it was a competition. And I think over time it got starched out because people thought of it as body shaming or as, you know, it's definitely not everyone gets a trophy, right? You get a badge, you don't and you get used to get badge number like presidential fitness award, two, three, four, five. And I remember missing it one year because for the life of me, I couldn't do pull-ups. I grew and I didn't have the upper body strength. And I couldn't do as many pull-ups. And I was just devastated. I think we need to reinstitute uh, uh, a certain level of expectation and competitiveness and award reward for for young people who get in great shape. You don't have to be a great athlete. I don't, th- I don't see any reason why every young person shouldn't be fit
0: get your Easter shopping done without leaving the house with DoorDash. When the holidays come around and family comes to town, things can get forgotten. But with DoorDash, you can order your Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, brunch must-haves, and so much more, all in one place, delivered right to your door. Actually, last Easter, I was in Annapolis. I was giving a talk and we realized we didn't have some of the Easter supplies we needed for the hotel room we were in to give our kids a little on-the-road Easter experience. And that's what we did. We DoorDashed everything we needed for Easter, just like a couple weeks ago when I hurt my ankle, I DoorDashed an ankle brace and some medicine. You can get anything you need on DoorDash with so many local and national stores to choose from. You can take it easy this Easter knowing you can get everything you need. Whether you're looking for plastic eggs for your Easter egg hunt or needing an ingredient for a side dish, DoorDash can help. Order now and get everything you need for Easter on DoorDash. Use code Stoic to get 50% off up to $10 when you spend 15 bucks on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order on DoorDash. That that's code Daily stoic Order using DoorDash today for eligible users only. Terms apply. Look, when I was first thinking of going to therapy, it was a little overwhelming, right? What's covered by insurance? How far do I have to drive? When do they have appointments? I mean, when I first started going to therapy, the idea of online therapy, virtual therapy, it wasn't even an option. And now things are so much easier, so much better. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, be a guiding light. And Talkspace, specifically today's sponsor, can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. And with Talkspace, you can easily find a therapist that you like. You can schedule virtual appointments and make the most of your time, which even as you're taking care of yourself, you always should try to do. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get 80 bucks off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com stoic. To match with a licensed therapist, go to Talkspace.com stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month. Show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash stoic.
1: I just think it's...
0: The terrible stat I heard is like 50% of the young population is not capable of... Joining the military, like you could, you you are you are disqualified from joining the military. Is that because out of physical of, or IQ tests? No, physical, physical. Uh, physical yeah, j- just just overweight or yeah. uh, you know so, some sort of sort uh, of disability related to that. And you're like, oh, it's not just an existential issue; it's a national security crisis. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it, it really has, prof- because by not taking care of yourself, and we see this during COVID too, but not taking care of yourself, if we all lapse in that, also has public health
1: implications too. Huge. Huge. What is it? One in three Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And just as we've politicized mass on the far right, I think on the far left. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the far left, I think we've politicized um, uh, obesity. No one wants to have an open conversation. And some of it is not... I'm not, I'm not fat shaming. I think a lot of it is food deserts. I think we need programs to give people the opportunity to eat well after school programs have been cut from funding. Yeah.
0: It's not a willpower thing. These people are not being set up to succeed uh, or given the tools to succeed.
1: Yeah. And also we have a a fashion industrial complex that for the last 30 years has said be anorexic. And now they've decided to embrace diabetic. I'm like, well, isn't there anything in the middle here? (laughs) Isn't (laughs) there moderation? yeah. Isn't there just, isn't there just a, uh, because I, I didn't realize how powerful uh, the kind of that imagery from media is. I was thought, well, you're attracted to who you're attracted to are. And I found it when I moved to New York, I was pursuing when I was single, this aesthetic of like the tall woman who looks like a hanger. Yeah. Cause I thought, oh, that's what real beauty is. And that, that's unhealthy. And just as I think it's unhealthy now that these fashion magazines are celebrating uh, what is, in my opinion, just being overweight. I, I, I think we should be tolerant and accepting. I, sure. I think a lot of people are, just, are born that way, but I don't think it's aspirational. I think these people are gonna struggle with health concerns before they should.
0: Well, and, and I think, look, the, the benefits of, of exercise as well, besides just the health, what, what I think is so important is like life is hard and life sucks and whatever you're working on, more days than not, it's not gonna go as well as you would like it to go. But one of the things I think is really important about having some physical practice that you do is that it's something in your control that will, that can always go well. You know what I mean? Like the weights are always in your control. The run is in your control. The swim is in your control. Uh, playing basketball with your friends is in your control. You go and do it and it's a win. If you go and do it, like by putting on the shoes, you've already won. And so when you deprive people of a practice like that, uh, You are, you are actually making them more dependent on work, life, other things that they don't control going well for them to be happy.
1: It's the, for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, but it's the easiest marker for whether I had a productive good day or not. Any day, no matter what happens to me, negative or positive, it's a good day. I accomplished something if I worked out. I look yes. back and I'm like, oh, well, I worked out. Then I'm like, everything else is gravy yeah. because it's hard and not like that. I'm not somebody, I, I enjoy it, but I'd kind of rather not do it. If someone would say to me, we'll give you the benefits of working out seven days a week and you never have to a pill. do it. I would hit that button. I would take that pill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm always happy. It's like being in the Marines. I'm glad I did it. It's just the idea. I worked out this morning at 9 a.m., I have a trainer that I do remotely on Facebook. I'm very privileged. And like at about 8.55, I'm just sort of like, fuck. (laughs) I'd I'd really rather not be doing this last night. I took a Delta 8, which is a CBD sleeping aid, and I woke up totally groggy. But this is it. This is a good day. I mean, I'll get to do this podcast with you. I worked out, boom. It's like- Anything else is extra. Yeah. 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 Gravy, gravy. So- I tell kids, and one of the first thing I I coach, you know, I coach a lot of young men, or I try to, I say, I have them give me their phone, and I'm like, the first thing we're gonna do, and this would be my recommendation for a lot of people, the first thing, one of the first things, if you really haven't embraced physical fitness, and it's so easy, because we're so busy, and we got so much other shit to do, is to find four to six hours, Coinbase, Twitter, TikTok, porn, Whatever it is, find four to six hours on your phone and you can find it, boss. Just look at where you're spending your time. You can find it and reallocate that four to six hours into physical fitness. I did it when I moved to New York in 2000. I worked out a lot when I was younger. I kind four to six it. hours a week, you're saying? Four to six hours a week. Yeah. I don't know what I said. Yeah. For, no, and I just four, wanted to make sure. Four to six hours a week. I played a lot of golf when I lived on the West Coast. I played at least once a week. One round of golf, when you really take into account getting the golf course, the beer you have with your, your foursome afterwards, it's at least six hours. I decided when I got back to New York, this is pre-internet, so I wasn't spending a lot of time on Twitter, or not pre-internet, but pre-Twitter. Um, I decided I was gonna stop golfing and I was gonna take four hours and just pile it all into fitness every week. And I was gonna take an hour to an hour and a half and do it three or four times a week. And, and I gave up golf. I'm not saying... It's hard. You know, you got to give so- something else up because it is real time. But I'm telling you, every young person, especially young men, I find women are a little bit more efficient, um, can find four to six hours just on their phone and reallocate it into physical fitness. It's the fastest hack to getting to that warrior status. It's the fastest hack to getting less depressed, more in control, more kindness, making more money. I've said, and we should move on from the, we're killing this thing. I said, I think everyone should be able to walk into a room, especially if you're 30. You should be able to walk in any room and know there's a reasonable chance if shit got real, you could kill and eat everyone in the room or you could outrun them. I'm getting to the point where it's more about outrunning them, but you wanna feel that. You wanna feel that strength. You just walk into a room and you think, You just feel better about your place in the world and your strength, and you can operate from a position of kindness and strength.
0: Well, you think about our bodies are the result of millions of years of evolution. We're given this incredible Ferrari by nature, Mm -hmm. right? Or this incredible piece of raw material. I think it does something to you psychologically to walk around and know- that you are not even close to realizing that potential, that you're squandering the potential. Like, so so uh, when you're walking around, you know, like you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're not, you know, you're not pushing yourself physically. I think what you're carrying around, it's guilt, but it's also just this sense of, like, you're mistreating the vehicle that you've been given. And uh, conversely, to feel like you're you've got it polished and in great shape, is also very empowering and exciting
1: yeah look body image is so important i think it's i think it's more important or women are more sensitive to it than men because we're evaluated on a multi-dimensional scorecard a balance scorecard of a lot of things women are primary primarily and this is a terrible thing they're primary primarily evaluated on aesthetics and um at least initially uh so it's unfair so it's easy to see how w- women especially girls develop body image issues you know, I definitely have body image issues. I have, what's it called, body dysmorphia. Growing up, I was so tall. You look like me, you're tall and skinny. And no one ever feels sorry for us. No one ever says, oh, you know, you you can never bring up I'm I'm skinnier than I'd like. No one, yeah. no, one no one, has any time of day to listen to that. But when I went to college or when I was a senior in high school, I've been playing sports my whole life. I hit this growth spurt. I was like 6'1", 140 pounds. And all of a sudden I couldn't play football. I had trouble playing baseball, even playing basketball. I just couldn't go in the paint because I would just get, you know, bowled over by someone with more mass than me. And it also just made me feel very insecure being that tall and that painfully thin. And that's why I've worked out was it just, I, I just, I had such negative body image and working out gave me some control over it. Uh, but I think almost everybody, I would bet, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would bet, uh, you know, 10, 20% of people kind of like, feel their body as a source of confidence, as opposed to a source of insecurity. And that kind of insecurity drove me, I found working out was a real great means of kind of overcoming that dysmorphia. And I still, unfortunately, I look at pictures and I look at myself and I know how anorexia starts or I look at myself, even when I was like, when I was a younger man, you used the word jacked. When I was a younger man, I was jacked, I was big. And I look back now and I can see that back then, I would look in the mirror. I would look at those pictures, where a lot of people would look at them and go, "Jesus Christ!" Right now, and I look at them. But back then, I'd look at my body. And I'm like, "Oh my God, I'm so skinny. <laughs> I need to put on more weight." Right. And I think that's how it starts. There's how you see yourself, and there's how the, how others see you. But uh, body image, and it's such a it's such a um, a task. It's such a big issue, especially for girls. But it it definitely impacted me. I ha- I still have that. You mentioned being an
0: unremarkable athlete. I know you've talked about being an unremarkable student as well. That's sort of what I was. I wasn't like a loser. I I wasn't, I didn't like get, you know, at 800 on the SATs, but I don't think, I don't think there were many teachers that thought I would end up where I was. Um, Why do you find that, that sort of people fall through the cracks like that, that are just sort of like solid, you know, like C plus to A minus range? It's kind of, they're not failing, but they're not lighting anything on fire. It seems like the educational system is not set up to maximum. seems like it'd be easier to get someone from a B to an A, uh, mm-hmm. but we actually tend to focus on the two far extreme ends of the spectrum. We kind of ignore the middle.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot there, but the first thing is, um, you know, neither of us were voted most likely to succeed in our high school. Right. And- Certainly not. And it's, it's funny, this reminds me. So I just, a few years ago, I sold my company L2 and my best friend's stepfather came and visited me and I hadn't seen him in a while. And this is just like this wonderful stoic man. And he was. I was showing him around L2 and this was like when L2 was pumping, we had like 140 employees, all these super smart young people. And I took him around and showed him on all these big screens, all the data and the charts and the analytics we were doing. and the office was just on fire and he looked at me and he goes, Scott, I got to be honest. I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was the moment where I was expecting him to put his hand on my shoulder and go, you know, I always knew you would amount yeah. to something, kid. And instead he looked at me and goes, got to be honest. I didn't see it. And, and here's the thing. And you brought up higher education. A higher education really is the tip of the, the spear for America, Uh, Higher education, uh, as higher education goes, so goes America. That's where we find our vaccines. That's where we train our generals and our presidents and our media figures. Uh, The Fortune 500 CEOs all have one thing in common. They all went to college. 98% of our elected representatives went to college. It really does kind of dictate what what America is. And I don't like where it's headed and what it says is because education used to be about how we gave the bottom, you know, 90% a shot at the top 10%. And it's totally flipped to, well, let's figure out a way to identify the top 1%, meaning either your parents are rich or you're freakishly remarkable. And how do we turn you into billionaires? And what happens is we've more from a society that wants to give the bottom 90% a shot shot of being in the top 10% to a society that said, let's identify the top 1% as indicated by your wealth, your family's wealth, because you're more likely to have connections and success and are well-trained. A lot of wealthy kids show up you know, really well prepared for college, or you're freakishly remarkable at the age of 17. And I was neither of those things. My mother was a secretary and I was just okay. And we enter into this consensual hallucination that all of our kids are in the top 1%. And I can prove to every one of us that 99% of our children are not in the top 1%. And so where we've headed with universities is we take pride in rejecting 90% of the applicants, which is tantamount to the head of a homeless shelter bragging that he or she turned away nine and 10 people last night. And that's not what America is supposed to be about. America is not, America is supposed to be the place where you, ha, where you we give as many people a shot as possible. So I, I, would, I would, and I'm working with the, the chancellors of Berkeley and UCLA on this, who I believe are really genuine about trying to expand their freshman seats. We, you know, 74% admittance rate, that's how I got in. That's just how I got. That's why I'm here with you was UCLA was not selective. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Now 12 kids get in. Now it's 12% admissions rate. So I would not be here. it's really easy to credit your, your grit and your character for your success and blame the markets for your failure. But, you know, uh, access to great affordable higher education is how a lot of unremarkable kids born in the sixties and seventies got to become remarkable slowly. And so it's not only the right thing to do. You know, I, I pay a lot of money in taxes, Ryan. So I'd like to think it's paid off. I, I'd like to think that the bet we can all make as a society through additional funding, quite frankly, more accountability on university administrators who have engaged in enormous bloat, enormous tuition increases. We believe we're no longer public servants, but Birkin bags. We need to move back to a place where America falls back in love with unremarkables that might become remarkable. And I think that we have headed in entirely the wrong direction. I think we should have something along the lines of a Marshall Plan. I've given up on the Ivy League. They get a lot of press, but they're basically hedge funds educating the children of their limited partners. Our public universities that educate two-thirds of our kids, I think, understand the problem. And I think that governments, alumni, and the administrators themselves, by holding themselves more accountable need to go on a mission to double the number of freshman seats at our great public universities over the next 10 years. Otherwise, you're just going to miss out on a lot of people that surprise you. It, you know, I got my shit together in graduate school and it kind of inspired an upward, an upward spiral that I think has been good for me, good for my family, good for America. Um, and we need to make more of those bets. We need to have more unremarkables. Well,
0: I was slightly less remarkable than you. I got into Riverside and uh, UCR? I- UCR? Yeah, UCR. and uh, Great school. It was great. Well, so, so you know, coming from uh, my, my father was a police officer, my mother was a, a school principal, but for me, UCR was incredibly remarkable. There were professors there who had been in yeah. books that I'd read and, you know, like it was- a glimpse into a whole other world that I had no access to as the normal unremarkable kid in, in Sacramento. And so I think, uh, the point is to get on campus and then magic yeah. can happen there.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, and I, and, and then just to extend the, how things have changed, I got a 2.27 GPA from UCLA and Berkeley let me in for graduate school. <laughs> Imagine that Right. <laughs> they're like, okay, we're we're going to take another big dumb bet on you. And that's when I got my shit together and to their credit. But if, if they were only letting in 10% of the applicants, they wouldn't have, they don't have the bandwidth to make those, to take those kinds of bets.
0: We well, then we're to trying to apply down. this attitude to the border too. Like the idea of America is reaping the bounty of the people that we've let in over the mm-hmm. last, 200 years and we're trying to close off the universities close off the borders even though the whole point is you want to be a country that people want to come to and then you want to harness that manpower and brain power and energy and ambition and use it in a way that no other country can
1: again it's insurrectionists and rejectionists in my view, are the two biggest threats to our society right now it's not it's well said we're not luxury brands and we used to, if you talk about quote-unquote undocumented workers, and we're talking about inflation on my podcast later today, we have this labor force that's everyone's complaining that people are, you know, that we can't find workers for our frontline workers. For about 40 years, we had this, the most flexible, inexpensive, robust workforce in the world called undocumented workers. And the people who control our government uh, knew this, the shareholders, and they turned a blind eye to it. And when we had the harvests, or seniors, or we wanted cheap food. We led in this, this, this unbelievable workforce and it basically kept prices low for 30 years. And now we've decided we don't want them because we're turning them into scapegoats, right? But you're right. It's, it, 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 we are, imagine if there was a football or a baseball team and every player in the NFL or the MLB wanted to play for that team, you would win. And that's yes. what America has been doing. It's been winning because everybody wants to play on our team. So you have to have standards. I do think you have to have borders. I think you have to have immigration. You know, you have to have policies. But we should absolutely, uh, you know, open up the 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 you know the the nozzle here. We need more people at every skill level to fill. We should be jobs. stealing
0: the talent from all the other teams.
1: One hundred percent. Why <laughs> that just seems insane? Yeah, that we would say no. You're you, if unless you've played for. You know, unless you've played for 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 the Marlins or you've played for the Giants for 20 years, we're not going to let you try out. That just yeah. doesn't make any sense at all to me.
0: Right. No, you I, and and look, no offense to my fellow Americans. But when I look around, I'm not like this is the best in the whole world. We, we don't need anyone else. When you yeah. travel, you meet wonderful people from all over the world. That would be wonderful additions to the team. And yet we, we have I, the rejectionist mindset, I think is right. I would say insurrectionist, rejectionist. And then we have this sort of also this kind of political and social class. It's nimbyism, but it's also sort of conservatism in another way where it's just like we don't we just say no to everything. Like we yeah. say no to everything. Yes. Yeah. Obstructionists, Yes. And then then everything comes to a grinding halt. and We all hate each other because there's no progress. When the car is moving fast, we all get along.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Well, Scott, this was um, amazing. Uh, I'm a big fan and uh, it's been an honor to chat and uh, we'll do it again soon.
1: Yeah, I hope so, Ryan. Congratulations on all your success and thanks for your good work.
0: Likewise, appreciate it. Keep pissing Elon off. I have no choice. (laughs) All right, man, I'll see you. All right, thanks very much, Ryan. Demand more of yourself in 2022. And one of the ways you can do that is by joining us in the Daily Stoic New Year, New You Challenge. All you have to do is go to dailystoic.com slash challenge to sign up. Remember, Daily Stoic Life members get this challenge and all our challenges for free. But sign up. Seriously, think about what one positive change, one good new habit is worth to you. Think about what could be possible if you handed yourself over to a little bit of a program. We all pushed ourselves together. That's what we're going to do in the challenge. I'm going to be doing it. I do the challenges, all of them alongside everyone else. I'm looking forward to connecting with everyone in the Discord challenge and all the other bonuses. Anyways, check it out. New year, new you, the Daily Stoic Challenge. Sign up at dailystoic.com challenge. Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts.
1: Just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast,
0: Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Milli Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Barian and Ingrid Segee, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists.
1: Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. From Wondery, this is Black History For Real. I'm for Jessica Ramsey. And I'm Conscious Lee. What do most people think about when they hear the words Black History? Rosa Parks, Reconstruction, MLK, February, Black History Month. Exactly, exactly. There are so many stories of Black History
0: that we just are not really talking about or thinking about, especially outside of February. And we are about to flip the script on all of that. Because on this show, you're going to hear a little less...